0: Let's open our Bibles tonight to 2 Peter chapter number 1, and I've got to get in the habit of saying 2 Peter because we spent so much time in 1 Peter, and, uh, but anyhow, we're in 2 Peter chapter number 1. I was thinking tonight, just as uh, Sarah's playing the offertory, how, how there are certain passages in God's Word, though all, all, all the Bible's true, right? It's all authoritative, it's all inspired of God, it's all preserved by the Lord, it's for us. And there's not one passage of Scripture that is insignificant, uh, mind you. But there are certain passages of Scripture that, that, uh, uh, that are perhaps more uh, real in your life. If, I don't know if that's a good way to describe it or not. Or that play a more significant role in your Christian life. Uh, it could be a passage of Scripture that you personally are more fond of. I guess that's the, that's the way to describe it best. Uh, I think in, in my own in my own life, I believe that Second Peter chapter number one uh, plays a very important uh, or occupies a very important position in my own life. Of course, there's uh, over the course of my life, I've had several different life verses. How many of you are like that? You've had like a handful of them, you know. Uh, my my family, we have a our family's passage of Scripture, which is Psalm 34: Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Uh, but I remember the first time that, that God really spoke to my heart, I mean, uh, studying the Word of God and coming to uh, this passage of Scripture, and as a matter of fact, I forget what year it was, but uh, several years ago, this particular passage of Scripture that we're going to delve into tonight was our our key uh, our key. Uh, text for that year was on our vision Sunday. We revealed this passage of scripture and our theme was add to your faith. And uh, we find a list of things that you and I are to add to our Christian faith as we endeavor to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But I remember the first time I read this passage of scripture and developed a message on it, it was back in 2005, I believe it was. And uh, I like to think, I've learned a little bit more about the passage since then. But it's a hard passage. Uh, We look at some of these things and we think that it's up to us. But truly, it's all up to the Lord. And our only responsibility is to walk in truth, uh, to live a life yielded to the Lord. And we see here tonight uh, a clear command based upon the like precious faith that we have obtained through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember from this morning the expression like precious faith, uh, it points to the object of our faith. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? And just as Jesus Christ is precious in every bit of His person, in all of His office, in all of His ministry to us, so too is our faith. Jesus Christ is precious and our faith in Him is precious. Now, what will you do with this like precious faith? Remember, God has called us uh, to live a life that uh, that brings Him glory, uh, that we are to be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So what then should you and I do? What should be the, n- the next step in this progression of what we call the Christian life? Now, none of us in here have attained. The, even the Apostle Paul said, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended. Right, so, so we look here, and we see in, in Peter, as he writes, as God inspires him to write this book, this letter, uh, he gives us the next step in our Christian life. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me this evening as we read together here in God's Word. We come to a very significant list of things in God's Word. In my Bible, I, usually when I come across a list of any sort, I put a bracket around it or I draw a box around it. So I can, so it just helps me see it more, more vividly. So I can kind of wrap my mind around. It. It's just a study tool uh, that that I've developed. But but as we come to the scripture, God provides us with a list, and it's not the list that matters the most. It's the one who inspired the list and what and the the influence this list will have on our own lives. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse five of of Second Peter chapter number one. The Bible says this. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." Father, we come to you tonight very thankful for the Word of God. Uh, Lord, our prayer this evening is that you'd open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things from your law, that you would teach us, that you'd remind us of some things, uh, that you would help us see the significance of, uh, of this list and how it applies to our lives, what it brings to our lives, and Lord, the danger of not incorporating it into our lives. And so, God, our prayer tonight is that you would speak to us, uh, that you'd be very specific in this, that you'd deal with us not just in a general sense, but, Lord, each of us individually. With, uh, Lord, that you'd deal with us specifically in different matters, that you'd help us all grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, our prayer tonight is that you'd be pleased with all of this. Uh, Lord, that uh, You'd lead us to make decisions that would glorify and honor Christ and cause us to live victoriously as Your children. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you bless the message tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to an expression that we read three times here in these, in these few verses. We find it first in verse number 8, we find it also in verse number 9, and again in verse number 10. It's reference to these things. These things. Did you read? notice that in verse number 8 it says, for if these things be in you and abound. In verse number 9 it says, but he that lacketh these things. In verse number 10 the Bible says, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things ye shall never fall. What is these things? These things is the reference to the list that we read in verses 5, 6, and 7 of 2 Peter chapter number 1. We understand that, let let me preface this by saying we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saves us. With the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. We are saved by grace through faith, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We understand tonight that you and I are called by God to live a life for him. We are called of God to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is is no stability in the Christian life. And by that I mean you are either moving forward or you're moving backward in your Christian life. There is no no place of of consistency. Either you're growing or you're shrinking. Sounds like me, physically. Right? Right? You ever notice that you go to the doctor and uh, they, you know, you only typically shrink via height. The other number that they measure typically always goes up. But, uh, but in our Christian life, all kidding aside, you and I, we are to grow in our walk with the Lord. you either growing in the Lord or you are, here's a term that we use often, we are backsliding. And I don't want to be backslidden in my Christian life. I want to, to know all that God has for me. Don't you want God's best for you? Uh, God's best for you is not a Cadillac. God's best for you is not, not a 10-bedroom a, a house. Uh, God's best for you is not uh, what you've always wanted in your life uh, fit, uh, as far as money or, or, or possessions are concerned. God's best for you is you knowing Jesus personally and intimately that you would learn to grow and develop a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our God is, is a personal God. Aren't you thankful for that? You read the descriptions of God in the Old Testament, for instance. He's, he's Yes, before Mo, Mo, he told Moses, he says, I am that I am. But before that, he said, he said, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He listed the names of people. He is a, he is a personal God. He wants to have a relationship with His children. And and part of this relationship, it's a very beneficial relationship. So the more you know the Lord, the more you are going to become like Him. You've heard the, the, the verse that evil communications corrupt good manners, right? And so, if we are going to associate with people who are ungodly, Uh, who are wicked, who are vile, and understand it's our prayer that God would allow us to reach these people with the gospel because you and I, we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. So our desire is to reach lost people with the gospel, but my primary uh, primary goal is to spend more time with the Lord, that I would become like Him, that I would uh, be a reflection of the character of Jesus Christ in my life. And we look here, we see this, you know, this list of, of, of things. As I was trying to wrap my mind around what to call them, I thought, well, they're things. You know, are, what are they? Are they verbs? Are they nouns? Are they adjectives? I mean, what, what part of speech are they? Well, they're things. God calls them things. These things. So I guess they would be nouns, Right? And so these are things that God has called us to be. God has called us uh, to live virtuously. Uh, God has called us to live with knowledge and and temperance and patience and and godliness and brotherly kindness and and charity. God has called us to take these things and and implement them and incorporate them into our lives. But in order to better understand them, I think it's important that we define them. Amen? Let's look here tonight at... And you might be sweating this evening because I'm about to tell you, I'm about to give you a secret. The introduction is seven points long. And then there's three more points on top of that. And then there's the conclusion. I'm just kidding. Not really. Um, but notice tonight, there's, I think it's important that we define what these things actually mean. So of course we have our faith. And our faith is sufficient to save. Remember, we're saved by, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 20. But as I said this morning, this, our salvation is not the end. Our salvation is the beginning. And now there's work to be done not, not to, uh, to, to gain any more grace or favor with God. Because you and I have, have obtained all the grace we're going to get, all the favor we get, and it all stems from Jesus Christ. And so now we're to take this saving relationship that we have with the Lord and we're to do something with it. We're to grow and to become more like Christ. So what does this look like? Well, notice he has called us to live with virtue. He says, and beside this, add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? A virtue is what we would call good. It is what is Right. We have been called to glory and virtue. The Bible says in, in chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So we can, uh, we can, we've been called to glory and virtue, and this can simply be defined as holy living. God wants you to do what's right. God wants you to to live a life that glorifies and honors Him. And I try not to do this, but I got on Facebook this afternoon, you know, and started the death scroll, and I came across this, this post that was made in ignorance. It talked about requirements in the Christian life um and how how if the bible isn't keenly specific on something then you have license to do it <laughs> i thought that was that was completely absurd you know like why would you say that and there are people that are amen in this statement i'm thinking you've got to be kidding me People will come out and say, well, God doesn't necessarily tell you you can't drink alcohol. He tells you you're a fool if you do. You know? There's all kinds of things. Now, now understanding this, that we don't serve God in order to. Right? So I'm not, I'm not trying to live my life in order to gain more favor from the Lord. I'm not trying to live my life in order to to merit more grace from God. I'm serving the Lord because of. Now I want you to write that down. We serve God because of, not in order to. Now, we serve God, we live for God because of what He's done for us. None of us in here tonight are perfect people. Right. We are all sinners saved by the grace of God. Remember what the apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth after he had listed all kinds of horrific sins and abominable things. He said, and such were some of you. Right. We're, we're all saved by the grace of God. We are all pictures of God's grace. But it's our desire based upon what the Lord has done for us to live our lives for Him. We serve God because He has saved us. And so because we are no longer our own, remember we discussed this in our Sunday school hour this morning, uh, as we uh, learned the difference between ownership and stewardship, that that we we don't belong to us anymore. I belong to God, and I'm not to deface uh, what God owns. I'm not to ruin and misuse what God owns. I want to live my life for His glory. I want to please the Lord. Now, we must be very careful with this. But the, but the idea here, the truth is that, that God has called us to live a life that pleases Him. He wants us to do what is right. He wants us to live a life that, that is holy, uh, that is just, that is, that is representative of our Savior. We live in a world that has convoluted this whole thing, this whole idea, and, 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 we, and we, are, we now allow ourselves to use grace as a license to sin. But we're thankful for the grace of God. But we ought not sin against the grace of God either. And God has given us His grace so that we can live our lives for Him, that we can honor Him, and that we can please Him, and that, so that we can do what's right. Because grace is the God-given ability to do the right things. I want you to look back in 1 Peter chapter number 1. Speaking of this holy living, and this kind of eradicates uh, or settles the whole argument of do whatever you want. Yeah, because... Here in a very wide stroke of a brush, God paints this picture of holy living for us. And so this excludes certain things. Uh, And and understand that that everything we say has weight. But everything we do has more weight. You've heard the statement, do as I say, not as I do. But your walk talks and your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I said that slowly so everybody could get it tonight. Right? But, but God, God places the emphasis on the fullness of one's life. Remember as he told Timothy, he says, be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and in purity. But we look back here in 1 Peter chapter 1, and much of what the apostle writes under the inspiration of God and is, has already been previously stated, even in his first letter. And he's reinforcing this, this very truth. And we look back in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse number 13, the Bible says, "...wherefore gird up the loins of your minds, be sober and hope to the end of the grace that is to be brought unto, uh, unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ." As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And again, for all of us uh, uh, language scholars here, the word all means all. All means all. In all manner of conversation conversation is more than just what you say. It's what you do. It includes the entirety of one's life. You and I are called to be holy. Be holy for I am holy, saith the Lord. Holiness. You and I we are called to live right. Look back in 2nd Peter chapter number 1, we find the next thing in this list. It's interesting to note as we read this list, we find that it's progressive. In other words, it builds upon itself. So we're to immediately incorporate into into our life into our Christian lives uh, virtue. In other words, we're to we're to lay aside our, our old lives and take upon us a new life. Remember what Jesus or what the Lord says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says uh, about being a new creature. And I just slipped my mind all of a sudden. Let's look there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because I don't want to misquote it. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we don't have to turn there. Let's look back in 2 Peter chapter number 1. And notice the next, the next word here in this list, this next thing. It's the word knowledge. It's the word knowledge. Now, knowledge... You study study out. It speaks of science. So what this is knowledge is the science of the Christian life. In other words, it is understanding the will of God and following the will of God. Science is living the Christian life. It's the application of truth to one's life. John writes uh, just a couple pages over in Second John. Turn there quickly. In 2 John, uh, the Bible says, in verse number 4 of 2 John, He says, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. Just across the page, in 3 John, in verse 4, we see again, He makes a statement. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. God has called you and me to live the Christian life. He has called us to walk in truth, to take To take the truth. Jesus says, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. The, The word of God is truth. He prayed in the garden in John chapter 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life, according to John chapter 14. We understand. So we take what we know. We take what is true. And we channel it into our lives. And we live accordingly. Be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Christian, God wants you to take the Word of God, He wants you to read the Word of God, and He wants you to obey the Word of God, implementing it in your life, applying it into your life to walk in truth. Knowledge. Do you know what they call knowledge? Knowledge is power. Isn't it? God wants us to know Remember, even earlier on, in, uh, back in, in 2 Peter chapter number 1, we understand that the desire of one's Christian life ought to be a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. Even back in, in chapter number 1 in verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The Bible says, according in verse 3, Of 2 Peter chapter 1 says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him. We are to know the Lord. And we are to take what we know about God and apply it to our lives. Because he's truth. We're to take truth and apply it to our lives. You know what truth is without application? It's a waste of time. We must live our lives for the Lord. Notice the, th- the third thing is the word temperance. And to knowledge, temperance, the Bible says in verse number six. What is temperance? Well, temperance is self control, uh, it's remaining faithful to God when the fleshly desires of, of our lives rear their ugly head. It is submission to Christ. It is death to self. It's not, your life is no longer about you. There are times in life when, you know, and maybe even as a parent, you've experienced this in your own life where you want something, but your children need something. And so, I mean, you can go out and, and get what you want. But your children will be neglected of what they need. And the self-control is understanding, you know what, I, don't, I guess I really don't need that. And I'm going to do what I know is right. I'm going to take care of my children, right? And that's, that's the Christian life. This is what this temperance is. And because you and I were new creatures. But the flesh is still very present with us. And every day we live, and, and, we, and our flesh has its, has its desires. But what did the Apostle Paul say? He said, I die daily. The Christian, the Christian life is about death to self. You've got to die to you. You've got to die to what you want and live to what Jesus wants. To follow Him in obedience even when you don't want to. Even when you don't feel as if you can, you still can because I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. We can can obey God. We can live for His glory. We can pursue Jesus Christ. It's temperance. It's self-control. Not giving in to the flesh. The Bible says though the outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. If you want help saying no to your flesh and saying yes to the Lord, guess what you have to do? You've got to read your Bible. You've got to feed yourself the right things. You've got to grow in your walk with the Lord. You've got to develop a deeper knowledge of Christ. You've got to know Him. Notice what else the Bible says there. and the temperance, patience. I used to pray for patience a lot. Then I read it's only through the trial of your faith that you get patience. But what does this patience truly mean? Patience speaks of continuing when you don't feel like it. Patience speaks of endurance. In spite of the hardships of life, we faithfully continue as good soldiers. I'm reminded of what the Bible says back in in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number uh, 3, the Bible says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Endure. For the next several months, we are going to have to endure cold weather. It's something that none of us really want. We would rather find a climate that is stable at 75 degrees and zero humidity but I'm not sure there is a place like that other, other than heaven. I think that's the climate of heaven. 75, no humidity, sun is always shining. right? But we have to endure. There are, there are some times in life you are called to endure things that are unenjoyable. Now, there, are, there are times in life when you become weary, when, when, when hardships come. You realize that, that when you endeavor to live for God, hardships seem... Uh, to to just escalate. The Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And what God has called you and me to do is endure that as a good soldier. We're to keep forging on. We're to keep moving forward. We're to keep pressing ahead. Pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not giving in, not giving up, but enduring it. Sorrow only lasts for the night. Joy cometh in the morning. There is there's a silver lining to all of our suffering. You know what that silver lining is? It's Jesus Christ. It's the proof of Himself to us that He is faithful, that He will not forsake us, that He is consistent, that He's loving, that He's gracious, that He is long suffering. That he's kind. That he's generous. Endure. Look back at what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says, and to patience, godliness. Now what's the difference between godliness and virtue? If godliness is holy living, or I'm sorry, virtuous virtue is holy living, then what is godliness? Godliness speaks... Of the character of Jesus Christ Himself is the character of Christ manifested in your life. I'm reminded of the the testimony of the church at Antioch. Turn with me, please, to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter number twelve. I'm sorry, Acts chapter eleven. Acts chapter eleven, in verse number twenty six. Of course, uh, this is Barnabas as has gone to Tarsus for to seek Saul to bring him back to Antioch for him to help them there in the, in the local church. And, and there's something happened there in Antioch. The, the church, they understood something. And they lived a life that was indicative of their Savior. So much so that the, that the lost around them decided that they were going to coin a new term. The term was intended to be derogatory. The term was intended to be a mockery. But it's a term that you and I carry to this day. Sometimes I wonder how well I live up to it. It's the term Christian. Look what the Bible says in verse 26 of Acts chapter 11. The Bible says, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And notice, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. They lived like Christ. May I tell you that that's godly? They lived a godly life. They lived a life that was above reproach. They lived a life that was, that was settled. They lived a life that was, where uh, there was no gray areas. They were, there was no hypocrisy there. Uh, they, there were imperfect people, uh, but with their whole hearts, they endeavored to follow Jesus Christ and the clear pattern and teaching of our Savior. And they were called Christians first in Antioch. Do you live up to the name? Is the character of your life truly Christian? Is it godly? I pray so. Look back in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says, and to godliness, in verse number 7, brotherly kindness. The word brotherly kindness comes from the Greek word Philadelphia. In other words, it's a, it's a fraternal... Um, it's a fraternal affection. Simply put, you and I, we're to love each other. We're to care about one another. We are to value one another. The same word is used in 1 John. Turn with me, please, to the book of... Uh, actually, let's look back in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, let's just look in verse 22. The Bible says, "...seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit..." Uh, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. This unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. One of the great crimes that we have in Christianity today is our lack of preferring one another. You know, we live in America. We live in a, in a culture that is very self-absorbed. Um. Dealing with young people we often find that on their phones or on their Instagram they have, they have subscribed or followed influencers. Right? And you know what an influencer is? Someone who's absorbed with themselves. <laughs> they post pictures of themselves. I don't really care what you're doing. But they're self-absorbed. They're egotistical. Life is about them. It, and we're foolish enough to allow our lives to revolve around them but i don't want life is life is not about you life is not about me the great travesty is when we under, when we fail to realize that you've been bought with a price therefore we're to glorify god in our body and in our spirit which are gods and god Did not create you for you. Life isn't about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you like. It's not about what you prefer. It's about other people. Jesus Christ is our our primary example. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And that leads us directly into this final thing in this this list in verse number 7. And he says, "And to brotherly kindness, charity. What is this charity? Charity is another word of love. It's different. The Greek word uh, for brotherly kindness was Philadelphia, this fraternal affection. But the word uh, charity comes from the the Greek word agape. And it's the word that's the love that describes our Savior. It is selfless. It is self-sacrificing. It's self-giving. There's... It's Jesus. And the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 8 that charity never faileth. We understand that that God has called us to do these things. In other words, so now we look back in in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number uh, verse number 2, he mentioned or verse number 1, he mentions this like precious faith. Our Savior is precious, our faith is precious. Now what are you going to allow the Lord to do with that faith? We are to yield to the work of God in our lives. And as we yield to the Lord, He then, because you and I, we can't do those things. Do you know how impossible it is? As I mentioned this morning, to, to attempt to live a life that, uh, of self-effort as a Christian is just frustrating. Talk about spinning your wheels and going nowhere. Talk about no progress but only defeat. Talk about the irritation, the frustration, the weariness, the fatigue, and and the desire. Just what's the point? There is no point. It is ridiculous. It is crazy. It is absurd to live the Christian life without the Lord. Likewise, it it is ridiculous to try to add these things to your Christian life without the Lord. We need God's help to get it done. Because my primary objective is to glorify and honor my Savior. Therefore, I want to yield my life to Him. I want to do what is necessary. Let me tell you, as we look back even this morning, I just want to look quickly. You want the the peace and, and the power. We want to be partakers. But the only way that these seven things can be incorporated into your life and grow in your life is to do what we discussed this morning. Uh, to pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ, to embrace his provisions for godly living, and to submit to the promises of Christ. But what's but why do it? Is it isn't it sometimes I think, well, is it really worth it? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? God has, God has laid it all out for you and me so that we can obtain victory and, and live a life that, that honors and glorifies him. And then we have the audacity to question, is is it worth it? And we might think, "Uh, I just don't feel like it. And we're very lazy in our Christian lives. But we look here tonight as we close, very quickly, I want to give you three reasons why it is so imperative that these things be in your life. The Bible says giving all diligence. We we ought to not, he says, "So in other words, we don't want to neglect this. We don't want to ignore it. We don't want to put it off. We want to be diligent. We want to work hard at it. We want to look to Christ for it. We want to develop this relationship with God so that he builds uh, these qualities, these characteristics into our hearts and into our lives that help us become more like him. Because here's the reason. Notice the first reason why we should do this. Because uh, they cause you to bear fruit. They cause you to bear fruit. Look what the Bible says in verse number 8. He says, For if these things, remember these seven things that we just discussed. For if these things be in you and abound, look what they do. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What has God called you to do? God has called you to bear fruit. Look what the Bible says in John chapter number 15. Look back in John 15. Of course, this is a great passage of Scripture. Jesus refers to Himself as the true vine and, and how He, how he uh, purges it, how the, the vine so that it can bear more fruit and all of these things. He says, without Him we can do nothing. We are well aware of that. But what does what's the overall purpose of your life? The Bible says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. You know what God has called you and me to do? He has called you and me to bear fruit. Look what the Bible says in verse number, uh, let's see here, uh, in verse number five of John 15, he says, I am the vine, ye are the husbandmen. I'm sorry, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, And men gather themselves and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So in other words, we think about this list of of things. The only way to achieve this list is to abide in Christ. Because the the only way to bear fruit is to abide in Christ. The Bible goes on to say in verse number And verse number 7, he says, If ye abide in me, and my word abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified. Look in verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified. And may I tell you, that's the purpose of our lives. To bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. He says, herein is my Father glorified, if ye bear much fruit. God wants you, God wants me, God wants us, To bear fruit. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. What is the fruit of a Christian? The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. But do you realize that no one is going to want anything that I have? No one will want the Savior I know and love if my life lacks virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, or charity. Jesus says, so shall ye be my disciples. What is a disciple? A true follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a true follower of Jesus Christ. Is it possible to be saved and not be a disciple? Unfortunately, yes. Remember, we're not saved by works. But James makes the argument concerning works and faith that without works my faith is dead being alone we need to grow in our walk with the Lord it causes us to be fruitful notice a second reason look back in 2 Peter chapter number 1 we also find that it causes you not to forget it causes you not to forget not to forget what to forget that you're a child of God is it possible For someone to have received Jesus Christ and then altogether forget that they know Him as their Savior. I can't tell you how many times I've witnessed that in my life dealing with other people, questioning their salvation, leading people to Christ, and then sadly watching them do nothing with it, squander their faith become involved in all kinds of wickedness and sinfulness, and then they get to the point that that I, I just don't even know. I just wonder. Look what the Bible says in verse number 9. This is a real thing, folks. The Bible says, but he that lacketh these things. So in other words, if these things are not implemented in your life, if you are not abiding in Jesus Christ, because that's the key. So if you fail to abide, you fail to remember. Write that down. A failure to abide will result in the failure to remember. What's the Christian life about? It's about Jesus Christ. It's about spending time with Him. And if we fail to abide with the Lord, we become forgetful. Look while Peter describes it here in verse number 9. It says, But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off. In other words, we don't, we, not only are we, can't, we can't understand spiritual things. We become carnal Christians. We, because as Paul warns the church at Corinth, we become unable to discern the things of God, to understand truth. Uh, we become just trapped in sin, but there's help because Jesus is still alive. He's still on the throne. And we can return to him, we can abide in him, and he can provide victory. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. The Bible goes on to say, and hath, notice, and and it says, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Forgotten that he is purged from his old sins. He forgot that they that he had asked the Lord to forgive him. There's doubt. There's lack of assurance. Why? Because of a failure to abide. Do you want a strong Christian life that is full of virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity? You've got to abide. Because to abide means to remember. Abide means to recognize. Abide understands The value and worth of the Savior. Notice the last lesson we learn here. The third reason why we are to incorporate these things into our lives. Why we are to abide in Christ. Is that they cause you to remain faithful. They cause you to remain faithful. Look what the Bible says in verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. In other words, just settle it. If you have any doubts, if you're here tonight and you doubt your salvation, you don't, have, you don't possess assurance of your salvation, then settle it. Give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. Settle it once and for all. Because he goes on to say in verse, he says, for, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. You'll have that confidence, that assurance, that, that faithfulness. And the Bible describes it in verse number 11. He says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As, as I think of, of being uh, ushered into the very presence of the Lord, I ask myself, how do I want to be found? When the Lord comes, when your time on this earth is, it comes to an end, where do you want, how do you want to be found? What do you want to be doing? I don't want to be sitting idly by. I want to be involved in the Lord's work. I don't want to be sitting on my hands. I don't want to be involved in lesser things. I want to spend my life serving the Lord. As we close tonight, look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, A very popular verse, one we quote often, but one that has so much truth and so much relevancy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2, the Bible says, Moreover, it is required in stewards, all right, we are all stewards. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Look at the word found. Note the word found. What does this mean? It means when the owner comes, what will you be doing with what he's given you? How will he find you? Will he find you having squandered everything that he's given you? Will he find you having neglected all that he's promised you? Will he find you Lazily living your life with neglect or will you be faithful? See, when Christ comes, I want to be found faithful. No doubt he'll have a lot of things to say to me. (laughs) I have a lot of things to say to you. But what I pray, he says to me, says to me, says to me, huh? It's been a long day. Give me some grace. What I pray, he says to me, I almost said it again. It's well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. I don't need a band to play. I don't I'm not looking for the applause of men or angels. <laughs> I just want my Lord to be satisfied. And the only way that will be is if I continue to live faithfully for Him. isn't it worth it? We live for so much, all of which is less than that. What's the secret to these things? Jesus. It seems so simple, but it's so true. you will never spend too much time with the Lord. And He's the only one who can develop these things in your life. That I may know Him. The power of His resurrection. The fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. But I follow after. That I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus rather than I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus these things. These things. We need these things. But the only way we can have them is through Christ. Christians, won't you know Him? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed,